Hi, this is Verity Bly, and you're listening to The Beacon, the Oxford International Relations Society podcast. Now, international relations is often an over-theorised academic field, but deep down it's really about people and the way in which we interact with each other and the world around us. So that's why I'm so excited to have Julie Kleeman and Yeshi Jamper with me on the podcast today. They're the husband and wife team behind Taste to Bet, hands down the best food store at Oxford's Gloucester Green Markets. Today we'll be speaking about Yeshi and Julie's journey from Tibet via India to Oxford, what life is like in Tibet today, and the story and food behind Taste of Bet. Just a quick note that there is some background noise, but the episode is well worth listening to. I hope you enjoy. Julie and Yeshi, would you mind introducing yourselves to the listeners? Uh, hi, I'm Julie. Hi, I'm Yeshi. You've had quite different backgrounds and sort of fanchas in India. Um, could you perhaps describe your childhood, your young adult life, your experience before meeting each other? So, yeah, I was born in Tibet, so I'm just semi nomad. So, I've never been to school. And I just look after the animals with my dad, and, and my mom, they look after the farm, so they the land, and my dad and me look after the animals on the mountains, summer and winter, we in the home. So, so then, yeah, we were a little, just so we need to cook, mm. otherwise, we can't get the food. Yeah. So that's why I just enjoy cooking and meet new people. That's uh, my... You said one of your jobs when you were up on the mountains with yeah. your dad was to, yeah. yeah, from a really young age, cook so, for the team. Yeah, cook, yeah. <laughs> so otherwise we can't get food. So that's, that's how I ended up, yeah, become now cooking for test best. So we come from really opposite worlds. So, you know, I was born in London and I went to fantastic schools and I went to Cambridge University where I studied Chinese, which is, uh, you know, gives a clue to how I ended up in Asia. But um, I don't think we could really have come from more, more opposite worlds. <laughs> I came from a really urban environment. She came from a, a really rural village. That's, you know, the part you didn't mention. From a really big family where it was mostly his older brothers and sisters who took care of him there were you know no toys it was nature was was you know their playing field and you know i grew up as most people in in cities in the west do in just a very kind of um you know closed environment um which is the way we're bringing up our kids now <laughs> which is a challenge i think for you she who's uh, always overwhelmed by the number of toys in our house <laughs> yeah yeah she tells a great story about um, when he was little and they really they really had no toys at all when you were about 10, 11 is yeah probably 9 I mean, 9 yeah. your dad brought the, the, yeah my friend gave the kind of basketballs so the yeah the, like a few months my dad he just make that balls to feed for the horse. He cut it in half. He cut, yeah, they used it for a few months and then his dad cut it in half and made two feeding troughs so, yeah so uh, <laughs> for the animals, yeah, so that was the end of their, you know, first ever yeah. <laughs> basketball. But that's how I remember clearly, but yeah. Anyway, we just to make toys, so you can create mm. like something different. You can make balls, kind of with 
rules. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like you can make some mm. different things. So he's very handy, mm. you know, so around the house. Yeah. He can make anything out of anything. That's so, so yeah, that's. I have kind of the we details that we make something for creative, yeah. but we don't have them. We need a bike for it, so we don't have to shop. That's yeah. Mm. There wasn't even a food shop in no. your village, was there? No. No, there's nothing at all. Now there is, yeah? Now still I have a yeah, shop and a little bit of restaurant coming. Okay. Yeah, but before, no. And because you both met in India, um, and the story of how you met is quite but yeah, we, we incredible. Lost sight of this. <laughs> so perhaps one of you tell well, I was that in story. India, I, mean, I was by that time mostly working on Chinese dictionaries, which is how I ended up in Oxford because I worked for Oxford University Press on their big Chinese dictionary. I studied Chinese at Cambridge, and and I was their chief editor. But I, I before I had worked on dictionaries I used to work for NGOs Um, and that my work took me to India I did kind of sideline work usually compiling reports for donors at at the end of a a funding cycle so an assessment of how well those projects had gone or not so I went to Calcutta which is a long way from where she was living um, to do one of these reports and um, at the end of my, my work trip I decided to take a little holiday but because I was on my own and India was a big old mm. place I, I chose to go to um, the, the part of India or there are several parts but one of the parts of India where I knew that there were a lot of Tibetan people living mm-hmm. because at the time I was living in China and it just seemed mm. to be a more manageable yeah. trip yeah. Um, on my own rather than I only had a week to try to you know see something or understand anything of, mm. of India by myself with just a week to do it. So I went to Dharamsala, which is where Yishi was living at the time, and where the Dalai Lama has made his home in exile. Um, so it's actually I think that there are much bigger communi- Tibetan communities um, elsewhere in India, but that's the, the best known mm-hmm. of them because it's where the Dalai Lama has his mm-hmm. temple. And is yes, yeah, it's a kind of showcase for Tibetan people. But otherwise, you know, there are tens of thousands of Tibetan people in, in other places, and you've never heard of those places. They're just living a more quiet, usually monastic life. So we met. Uh, maybe you want to tell a story. We always tell it differently, anyway. <laughs> I give you a chance to tell your. Version. Yeah, that's in the uh, living Dharamsala. So I'm learning English. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we we met in the street. We did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm interested to learn other languages, so I speak. And we, we met with a... I'm taking a photo with the... You were taking a photography course, Yeah, totally. So they course. sent you out to take pictures and... For the monkey. They, they have special yeah. monkey, kind of white, kind of special. You can't see the red monkeys, you can see always, but mm-hmm. this the white, kind of red or long tail mm-hmm. monkeys are special. All time, they comes down the valley. So that's why we. Just it gets too cold up in the yeah. mountains. So they're called snow monkeys. Yeah, they're called snow monkeys. And so then, when it gets too cold, they come down. So I take the photo and they're just on the tree. I just read too close. I saw her that time, but she takes photo far away to the monkey as well. So I just went too close to the monkey and she said, That's a good idea. That was the first thing I said to him. <laughs> I so, said, that's a good idea. <laughs> so she did come close to me and then she took a photo as well. And then we chat. 
and uh, she's she being Asian, she knows. Yeah, she was very suspicious of me because I told him that I lived in Beijing and <laughs> he didn't know, you know, what my motives were yeah. and, you know, yeah. for a long time, actually. <laughs> as far as I understand, you spent time together and eventually moved here to Oxford. Mm. I understand that the application process to do that was mm. quite difficult. Perhaps you could explain why that's the case. From, you know, and in, in any case, like from the outside, just our situation looks so improbable. I think, um, as I mentioned, I've got a you know strong educational background, so that was really helpful for us because we knew we had to put together, um, you know, unless we we got lawyers on, on the case, we had to put together an application that was really tight because yeah, on the surface it, it, it just didn't look very likely. It probably helped that by the time I, we applied, I think I was just pregnant with our yeah. with our first child. <laughs> um, so that went in the application. But you know, generally speaking, these things. I mean, Yishi had to do an English course before he left India. The certificate had to be submitted as part of the application. That was an ordeal in itself. Um, but you know, we these these applications are really tough. Yeah, we had to submit a lot of, of um, evidence of our communication via. Or electronic means or you know phone calls that kind of stuff and then we put together this part was quite fun the photos of us <laughs> at various stages him with without moustache <laughs> to kind of prove the length of time together that bit was quite fun but the rest of it wasn't fun at all and it took three months as I mentioned I was already pregnant at that stage and it took three months um, for them to make a decision on it, by which stage I'd already moved from China. I'd been living in, at, in Beijing when we met, and had, you know we, I'd been going backwards and forwards to India from there. But I'd already accepted a job at Oxford University Press, and I had already moved and started that job. By the time we, we got the decision on it, it was almost unbelievable that, yeah. that we got the visa. And luckily, because by the time you arrived, I was already six months pregnant. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's it is it's a long process. That was just the first step in what is a long process because there were then there were you know, lots more exams, <laughs> lots more money. I mean, in the end, it was actually fairly straightforward. In, these things can go much more complicated ways, and I think because I was on top of things, you know, I, I you know have kind of generally good life experience that set me up for. Um, easing that process and uh, because you know it wasn't it was all real <laughs> that also helped <laughs> yeah it was it was mostly just a question of time and money and a lot of um, fuss along the way but we didn't have any any particular obstacles and you're both currently in Oxford and you're running Taste Bet mm. and before we get on to Taste Bet itself perhaps you could explain where Tibet is and um, what its status is, because yeah, um, some listeners may not know. <clears throat> Tibet, yeah, that's uh, always uh, some people, yeah, they're asking about so West Tibet. So, you know, it's quite, yeah, and then I said, you know, I say in China, India, Nepal, between that, I say that, but yes, you know, and then I said, so. I explained it with Himalaya. I said, yeah, modern university, this kind of thing because not. But yeah, it's quite too challenging to go to tell. Sometimes we are not busy and we can't tell all the stories. So yeah. this is quite hard. But yeah, I said between India and China, that's it, also like that. But this, yeah, you're right. It's just, what it was 
this that cushion to rest that. So yeah. So anything else you I think you know they were Verity asked what what's the status of Tibet? Yeah. Officially it's uh, it's now a part of China. Yeah. Perhaps you could explain what Tibetan people are like or particular aspects of the culture, what stands out and like reminds you of Tibet. Generally, yeah, Tibetan people inside Tibet kind of lie back, mm-hmm. kind of most, like, in the Tibetan, most majority people is like Buddhist, you know, the way I just kind of believe mm-hmm. something and they just, you know, this life is we do the best. Yeah. The pace of life is quite slow. People work hard. Yeah, work hard, but the pace of life is yeah, quite slow. Mm-hmm. But their major considerations are just kind of making their, you know, immediate... Um, yeah, being present, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, well, anyway, very, very different to the we were here, the way we were thinking and inside Tibetan thinking is very, very different. Where there are immediate concerns, I suppose. People don't do jobs as they do here. Yeah, their their work is what they must do around their home to keep you know the, the home ticking along and to get food on the plate. And yeah. these are the kind of primary concerns of day to day life. You know, they don't go off to offices. I mean, increasingly so, I suppose. You know, people are moving now from, from rural parts to cities. Yeah. And people are doing desk jobs they never did before. It's still like that. Sometimes I call my parents and they ask me, how about the food? But they never ask me, how's the life here? But they don't know about, about the food. Yeah. How's the food? <laughs> the yeah, important things yeah, yeah. about the, the food. Things, yeah. yeah. But are you eating well? <laughs> yeah, and then after like in the house of life kind of things, but then they ask me a job. Mm. They don't they have no point no. of reference there. They don't yeah. you know, they don't know what it means really. Yeah, the job means that they, they, they understand. Yeah. Yeah. And because the Tibetan language is also quite unique, and I learn a new word like every week in your newsletters. <laughs> Perhaps you could ask a few phrases or explain how similar it is to other languages in the region. Uh, yeah, Tibetan language is the, the very different language, just completely different. And kind of, we have the alphabets uh, similar English and the vowels for vowels, but similar English. But it's very different by Chinese and different by the Hindi. But we Tibetan people say it's come from the Sanskrit in India, but it's still different, very very different. But yeah, the so language is really really good. Just completely different to Chinese. Yeah. So obviously I studied Chinese, but that doesn't give me um, any leg up, you know, when it comes to understanding Tibetan. The, the only thing that we can communicate well about using Chinese is like the names of, say, certain vegetables that had yeah. that. You couldn't, um, you didn't get in Tibet before the Chinese came. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. there are some words that have now been borrowed from Chinese, but otherwise, for me, it's a completely different new language. Yeah, it's just a very rich language. It's very, very rich. You can just describe it. Many things are just very, very... Say something into that one. Dragidale means high and... Yeah. Okay. Um, it means cheers. Cheers, yeah. It means how you're doing. It means all kinds of things, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, language is such an important part of national identity, that having such different language, I mean, the only sort of 
increases the divide between Tibet and China. Mm. Yeah. I think that a lot of people don't realise that, you know, just as they don't know where Tibet is, they don't realise that Tibet has its own very distinct language. I think a lot of people assume, certainly when we met, people assumed that we had a common language because I knew Chinese, but actually yeah. because you hadn't been to school no. in Tibet, um, you didn't have Chinese at all. Really. No, and Chinese also Tibetan as well. But yeah, but we learn from the parents but yeah mm. but it's uh, now it's like Tibetan is like the most people living outside Tibet mm-hmm. and uh, now the Western people are also interested to learn Tibetan mm-hmm. lots there are an amazing number of people who come yeah. to our school who can speak anything yeah. from basic Tibetan to really amazingly good Tibetan. Yeah. I mean, that, and they do not have Tibetan faces at all. No. I mean, I know this is Oxford, yeah. but still, it's always surprising. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and a bit galling for me because I haven't made much headway. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you mentioned briefly about life in Tibet and the life of Tibetans. Um, outside world what is life in Tibet like today and how has it changed in the past few decades uh, yeah I just remember but the, yeah the change uh, it's a lot it's changed a lot so we our leaders and yeah environmentally changed really very really fast we were the winter, just all those kind of snow coming and beautiful, but when you grow like nearly left at Tibet, so they don't have much that. And no many more people in Tibet. So there before, are more people. Yeah, mm. because it's like become more city, city, I think mm. I see near the village area. And there are a lot of office coming. Before we not we didn't have that at all. So many yeah. parts of Tibet were so isolated, but now the road, there's a road and even a rail yeah, network so there to a limited so, degree. Yes. Yeah. Small people now. Yeah. yeah. And I've read that so, tourism is increasing as well, which is bringing in... Yeah, that's the now we are, the Tibetan people are not happy, I can see a lot of video kind of things, but yeah, tourists and there, there. Mostly because Chinese tourists, because it's quite hard for, for yeah. people from other countries to get in. But the, we just leave, and we never use a wind hours because we don't have any bottles and we don't have any plastic at all. We have to use some bottle, but that's the way kind of, I remember, we play with the toy kind of things. So now just massive for the for bad for the environment. Like that, that we culturally, we believe that we don't want to harm the environment. We care so much. We hours later, we never be in school, but that's natural. We know that. So we use everything like with the leaf and the kind of things we never use like plastic at all. We don't have, but we never use. So that's quite shocking to where people are not happy at all. Yeah. Really Much upset. more of a disposable yeah. kind of culture yeah. now. We have the general. leaves, the big leaves we can use. Mm. We don't use plastic. Mm. We make leaves things out of yeah. wood and leaves make smells for food mm. nicely. And the plastic just mm. you can't get smell yeah. nice. Because the uh, center I talked with my cousin kind of things, they're asking me their cheese and the butter they want to put special food in the leaf. Mm. Because they keep the smell yeah. the natural mm. smell. This is different from the yeah, plastic. So plastic just can't get anything. 
So basically, yeah. And one of the most interesting um, articles I read in your newsletter was about Himalayan salt and how the Chinese building dams which prevented people sort of collecting the brine. In general, is China encroaching on Tibet more and more, or like what's the dynamic? There? <laughs> you know, it's complicated, isn't it? And um, it, China, yeah, has bought roads, has bought a railway, a rail network. You know, has bought a lot of things to Tibet that you know, um, notionally, you could perceive as as um, helping to develop to Tibet. And obviously, that you know. Yeah, people are able to move to cities now and, and perhaps um, get jobs that, and they're better able to support their families and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a very complicated question, you know, in terms of what that has done to um, disrupt um, traditional ways of life. Uh, there's a massive change now, and you know where you know, where people lived on one plot of land for generations, you know, possibly thousands of years. Yeah. Um, you know now now those ways of life are, are, are definitely being eroded and quite fast. I think you know it does appeal to the younger generations in, in many ways. You know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it's um, kind of the like a marriage, but it's still struggle. Well, probably people of your generation are, yeah, have a yeah. real struggle because yeah. you've experienced the most change yes. yeah. you're not able to kind of sit back in the way that your parents can now you know still yeah. in the comfort of their own home and you know but and you're also you're also not qualified for, for the ways in which life has changed yeah. and it's, it's continuing to change at such a pace I mean that is true in China all over not just yeah. in, in no. Tibet but I think you know People, people within China would always say to me, you know, it's too fast, it's too fast. I think it's so shocking, the pace of change there, not just in Tibet, everywhere. So it's something that everybody is, is grappling with. Um, but obviously within, within Tibet, I mean, just, just as much as within, you know, many parts of China where um, people have had their own distinct traditions for thousands of years, you know, life, ways of life are changing. Traditions are, you know, maybe perhaps becoming lost. Mm. And I think one of the, the really important things about Taste of Bed is that it continues that tradition in some way. And it shares I think that's the main motivating factor. Yeah, and, and it shares it with people like me, who I had never tasted Tibetan food um, before coming across your stall, and now I have every week. Um, perhaps you could explain what Taste of Bed is and how you set it up. Uh, yeah, so first I did come here, then we have food out, and everything is like, you know. And so I know how to cook, and it's, uh, I'm not good on, yeah, but on the business, but you know, but I know the food, and I've said with the talk with my, yeah, Julie, and then food's not right, and we want to do this and that. And, uh, we definitely so, always ate better at home than we yeah. did when we went out. And so and then, yeah, then uh, so then we, we say we want to do that on the market faster, we try, we say on the market. And then, yeah, just growing, just we can't believe, just mm. it's growing so fast. And then, Oxford is a great place for taste to bear because yeah. you know people here really from even though it's a really small town, there's people here from all over yeah. the world. So there are people, as I mentioned, there are people who come and speak to Tibetan at the store. You know, there are people who do have exposure to Tibetan understanding of what Tibetan food may be. But yeah. you know, there's also people who haven't, but who are open-minded enough to try, which which wouldn't necessarily be the case even in a much yeah. bigger city. 
Yeah, and also the, I really enjoy it. If you do like the market or water festivals, and like that, you can see the really life. Yeah. Out of the line, yeah. and then people are really happy to support us, and then people say, "I said thank you, but thank you for coming every week." I said, but they said thank you being here. Yeah. So that's making me just really, really just so in my heart, just go. So I just do, you know, that. Yeah. That's just you know, we know that people love taste Tibet, but it turns out to be you know really a, a wonderful thing that feeds us also. You know, because we get just such an amazing response from our customers, even even you know people who don't eat with us, you know, all the time, never eat with us, but you know, we just we are so warmly welcomed within this um, community. Um, so I suppose that's what fuels us really, because it's really hard work, and I don't think we had understood the nature of the beast we were taking on you know when we started our our store we, obviously we couldn't have anticipated the ways in which it has grown and you know I, I gave up my own job as the demands of our business um, increased and I, I, we couldn't have anticipated that but it turns out to you know be something that really gives us a, a firm place in, in Oxford and yeah just um, we receive so much love <laughs> so even when things are really hard um, that's what keeps us going yeah that's you know we, we I'm tired but you know people really love it but it's just I can just can push more so that's the next Feedbacks are really good, and it's uh, happy to have more hard work. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what does a typical week look like? I mean, in terms of, I have no idea how long the preparation mm. takes you. I assume it's we it's have very two distinct intense. seasons. Taste to bed. So we're currently in our slow season, and. Um, at the moment, we're just running a market store once a week, and, and really, there's only about there's a day's prep that goes into it, and that's just the making the momos because they can't we sell them in such volumes that we can't make them at the store. Yes. So we make we'd make those on a Tuesday. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Usually, a day's prep is enough, isn't it? And then and then we're at the market on a Wednesday, and all the curry that we make is cooked on the day at the store. So um, you know, it's a busy day on, on Wednesday, but at least by doing it there and then, you know, we're not um, there's not too many stages involved in the process. Um, but in the summer, in the summer we, uh, I mean, Yishi is out most of the time. He's away from Oxford. He's here one or two nights in the week. Over last summer, he was at festivals. Mm-hmm. all over the south of England every single weekend so he would, would come back to kind of yeah, catch up on a night or get a night's sleep in a real bed yeah. <laughs> in between because otherwise he'd be sleeping in a tent or, or in his van <laughs> the back of the store um, so we did festivals big and small mostly yeah. music festivals we did a few food festivals and we did some events at places like Blenheim Palace and um, um, Hampton Court. Yeah, that that's also really, really. I've never been before. Like you just, you just go like music festivals, kind of <laughs> big, kind of. It's an amazing. So, I mean, we get adventure. A, just go see. Especially like you know, usually he's only been in the UK six and a half years, yeah. and you know he's already he's seen. I mean, we do a lot of the university yeah. college balls as well, so you know we have a, an amazing vantage point. You know, for, for somebody still relatively new to UK, he's he's seen so much of life that I think a lot of people would never see. You know, yeah. it's an amazing privilege to have access to you know behind the gates of so many Oxford. Last year we also did Cambridge. 
colleges. Yeah. And yeah, then, you know, and then, and then these kind of totally mental music <laughs> yeah. festivals, you know, or, or, and then, you know, in places like Birmingham Palace and, and Wadston Manor and, and wherever else. So, yeah, we see him, you get, oftentimes, you'll get those places to himself during the setup and, and the takedown, you know, and that's really magical, I think, yeah, isn't it? I mean, the music festivals too happen in usually really beautiful parts of, of the UK, so it, that's an amazing privilege. But in terms of, you know, what a typical week looks like, it's really hard to say. There's no there's no typical week, and people ask us constantly at the store, you know, because at the moment we're only running it Wednesdays. This is all that you do, you know, but, but in reality there's so much that's going on behind the scenes, which is, you know, largely my job trying to work out what the next steps are yeah. for, for Taste Tibet. Constant discussions, you know, meet, we have meetings, we, you know, there's, there's yeah. a lot of, of work that is going on that can't be seen or necessarily understood by our customers. It's really varied, and, and I personally really love that, you know, my, you know in, pre- in my previous existence, you know, where I, I worked at a desk and did pretty much the same thing every day, it was never the case, so, you know, we're constantly uh, stretched, challenged, <laughs> it's always a new area, you know, we have to kind of learn to understand, get to grips with. Yeah, and so um, just now we are just self-employed. We employ for other people, so, mm. so yeah, I don't have that business skill, but I'm just learning. Just mm. it's a little bit challenging. It's just really mm. just pushing me kind mm. of hard, and kind of enjoying, you know, different challenge, different. So yeah, learning. Yeah, learning. learning. Yeah, this is just the behind-the-scenes stuff. Life, you know, always yeah. we, there's obviously. We meet people at our stall in the market, but you know, in terms of what it takes to get Taste Tibet ready for a big festival that involves, you know, meeting meeting the guy who sells the pieces of scaffolding, you know, material that go to that, that we need to hoist our banner over the tent in the summer months, you know, and then there's you know designing our logo, you know, to go on our aprons and whatever else. We're, we're always talking to people from completely, you know, from one conversation to the next, totally distinct walks of life. So it's it's a wonderful introduction to what everybody else does also all the time in Oxford and, and outside of Oxford. We get to know Oxford really well. Yeah. You know? As a permanent taste of that venue on the card for the future or something we talk about. But you know, I think I think a mobile setup suits us and it, it's it's uh, background was mobile, you know, as, yes. as a nomad. Yeah. He was always on the move and so it kind of fits. And we've got two young children, and um, we, we've up until this point been slightly reluctant to make fixed walls around yeah. Taste to Bit sure. because we have our freedom this way. Mm-hmm. But people clamour for it. Um, one thing we're thinking of doing is, is a regular um, night where people can, you know, take away or come and sit in. You know, pop-ups are a thing, and they work. But at this stage, we're, we're not sure. Mm. But it's something we always talk about. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. it would make, although it would also you know, make life harder in some ways, it would also make life easier yeah. for us. Because I think for Yishi, the hardest part of what he does is, is the setting up and the taking down. You know, constantly building his kitchen and taking down his kitchen, it's exhausting. I often say there's a reason why you know most people who do this kind of work are in their 20s you know, like <laughs> yeah. really need to be yeah. physically fit strong you know we're getting a little bit creaky <laughs> now along in the tooth so I don't know yeah as yeah. we get older perhaps so watch this space mm. and in terms of the food you've got um, an amazing variety you've got momos uh, dal curries 
chai. Could you perhaps describe your favourites? If you have a favourite, could be several. Favourite in Momo. We never get tired of eating Momo. Yeah. If there's yeah. Momo left over, that's fine. <laughs> so, and our kids too. Yeah. Big Momo eaters. Yes, I do. Kind of all day we eat in Momo. Last night he made a um, like a dumpling soup. Oh, I saw on Instagram. Yeah. That was amazing. I haven't done that for yeah. a while. And then, I think one thing that we don't often do at the stall that Tibetan people eat a lot of is noodles. Yeah. Um, soup noodles in particular. Yeah. Um, and they're really delicious, yeah. but kind of hard to do it at the stall. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like some, you need cook now, you need now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. not easy to do, take out kind of things. Yeah. And uh, also the like food hygienically still like outside. Yeah, but yeah. much better. Like, yeah. so you have to prep it away yeah. from the store. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily transport very well to the no. store. Yeah. I think the, the handmade noodles, they're called hand, hand pulled. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they'll go soggy if they sit in a, a pot of boiling water for too long. So. What a shame! I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'd love we'd love to give people when people come to the house. That's what we do, yeah. but not very often at the store. Tupa, it's called. Yeah, tupa, yeah. <laughs> and um, where can listeners go to find out more? Well, they can always eat at our store yes. on a Wednesday only at the moment. But we're yeah. hoping to build up our market days and start doing a Saturday soon. Yeah. People always ask us why we're not so, there on a Saturday. Uh, hopefully, in the future, just just with my dreams, like just you know, like kind of to any maybe in UK some kind of my, my dreams, like just all the cities to the test of it and the festivals, to food. yeah, yeah the festivals. That's my dream. So just. But for now, just once a week in Gloucester Green Market. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, people can people can follow us. Like, yeah, we have a mailing list. Look at the Tastebet website. Tastebet.com. We've also got all the kind of social media channels at Tastebet, and you, if you join our mailing list, you're always up to date with, with where we're at and what we're we're doing. Uh, and in the summer, we're a whole lot busier than we are right now. Yeah, I think as, as I mentioned before, I think you know, she's main force of motivation is to, to put the name of Tibet out there and have people I mean we, we always hear it as people walk past you know Tibetan food what's that Tibetan food and he would love he would love to see a day where people know clearly what Tibetan food is so it's got to go further than Oxford's Gloucester Green Market soon if he has his way <laughs> well, I think within Oxford you've been incredibly successful in sharing Tibetan food and part of yourselves as well Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Well, great thank, to you. Speak to you. thank you. Thank you. And I hope to the listeners that you've enjoyed listening to this episode and tune in to the Beacon in future.